Welcome to the Spot Nonsense Podcast, where we talk about entrepreneurship, self-development, and challenging norms. Today, it could be 57, episode 57, that is. I don't know. Belky doesn't know. Just, you know, changing it up? New backdrop? New uh, studio? New We're Chicago? We're still getting used to seeing each other in the eyes. I'm used to looking down at the screen and then it just feels it's weird tough. still. It's tough. Today we're talking about a podcast, a Tim Ferriss podcast with Nick Kokonis. What else do you listen to? Nothing. Exactly. Absolutely nothing. Exactly. That's why I got so excited because there was a little Twitter feed and you know how we love Twitter right now. And they were talking about the best podcasts all time. And this popped up as one of them. And I have to say, I liked it. Pleasant Who surprise. Was? Twitter was? Twitter the Twitter people. Just Twitter as a whole. Best podcast of all time. It's got to be up there. And uh, Chicago born and raised. Who, Pop, Dylan, who needs to listen to this mm. in 2020? Who's it for? Me. You. I think I think anyone with a wrestling, like anyone with a potentially difficult situation right now, like people mm. with solid jobs, they're kind of locked in, like eh, they might not need it. But anyone that's trying to be a little crafty, you know, on their toes. Actually, you didn't listen to the second one. He had two on Tim Ferriss. And, related or not related? Uh, kind of related. It was more about COVID and how they've adapted better than uh, anyone else. Uh, so that's kind of where that angle comes in. So maybe not They for have. This. That's what I was saying. Like, okay, so uh, Nick Kokonis, is that his name? Um, runs the Alinea Group in Chicago. It's like four or $500 a person to eat at Alinea. During COVID, they've been doing like $20 per person take-home meals for a family of four. That's what we've been getting at my house. Yeah. It's so, lucky. Uh, that's kind of dope. Yeah. Wow. Next. Next. And then they, they give you like a pre-mixed cocktail bottle from the aviary. It's a whole thing. Well, I hadn't Not even really heard related. of Nick. And then when I did hear of him, it's like, oh, he owns this restaurant group. Like, what is that? What, why do I care about yeah. that? And then you realize like these are world-renowned restaurants. Like yeah. So I think Michelin it started stars. with Alinea. Um, and now... You know, like, we talk about the PayPal Mafia. His restaurants are like Chicago Mafia. It's Alinea, Boca, um, the Aviary is a cocktail bar, and Next is another great one. I'm sure there's more. There was one other. I forget the name, I think. Yeah. But either way, he's been crushing it. What's funny about his story, Nick's story, I guess we'll start getting into it, is that he was never this restaurant guy from the start. I don't even know if he ever imagined owning a restaurant or owning a group of them. No, so he goes into the world of finance. He's an options trader, right? And he loves well, it. I, I want to even backtrack okay. further because the, the story starts with him more or less in college. I don't think they started before then, but he goes to Colgate, which is like a pretty cool liberal arts school. And I I don't know if he didn't know what he was going to study, but he got to one of his classes. And I guess it was a philosophy professor, but he's like, he, he recognized Nick's just innate talent and like, this this ability to I don't know just see and be a better student than most other people, and I forget why I think because Nick's kind of like this person that challenges people. He challenged the professors. On yeah, that, that's right. And he's like he stuck out, and the that's professor right. just took him under his wing in like the harsh way, where he give him uh, some feedback. Like even Nick would write like an English paper or something like that, and this philosophy professor would talk to the English professor and is like, "Hey, give him a C on that one, just to like, mm. ruffle his feathers because he, he didn't deserve an A there." And it's just this cool little mentorship that really pushed him towards this this path of just always asking why, like very philosophical in that sense. And I think that's that's what's interesting to me is do you want to study business or entrepreneurship kind of like I did? Or do you want to study like what you did with physics or philosophy? Right. 
and it comes full circle. What I love about Nick is his emphasis on asking why questions. It comes full circle. By the time, I think it's around the end of the podcast, he's talking about um, deciding how they're going to set the tables. And it's all just like challenging assumptions and, and things that are so. Um, That's why I'm kind of jealous in a way. Because I'm reading, or I pretty much finished Feynman's, uh, surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman. And then also just, I don't know, you, you in physics, hearing a lot about philosophy, just bought um, Sam Harris's recommendation. Hey, your dad emailed me about. today to read some physics book. I haven't opened the email yet, but... He I must think... It. I don't know why... You do get this street cred of like, oh, you probably know some stuff. Kind of do. I don't know. You shoot all these like first principles things. But Nick is very first principles, <laughs> like you said. Um, I think that's a cool skill. So I want to get better at it. We're still struggling with some of these biases. I think that's one cool thing that I learned in college. Oh, what do you mean? Um... What do you mean? We're struggling with these biases. Oh, well, like uh, sunk costs like today. Oh, my word. Today. We spend two hours combined. for fit- Let's just, let's you take wanna, a minute. Right. Let's take a minute. So, well, you've been on this kick for like two to four years, I'd say, and really valuing your time, breaking things down. In theory. Op- in theory. Totally in theory. In, into opportunity costs. It's like, oh, if we're going to do that, well, it's three hours and that's, I'm $20 an hour, whatever. Uh, that breaks down this morning when we had to return one of your little shit shit cameras, <laughs> the six camera you've got this week. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you like here in Naval, and we talked about it. It's like, oh, it's five hundred dollars an hour or two thousand dollars, whatever he values his time, and like, oh, I can get behind that, right? Like, yeah. fuck doing this little stupid work that I don't want to do. Yeah, I'm worth this much. And then it's like, you know, Dylan, it's a 15% fee on this $400 camera you just bought. And I do the math. I'm like, that's about 50, 60 bucks right there. So uh, if you return it in store, we won't charge you that. Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, what? sorry. The context is no, missing. No, no. The context is fine. Okay. What is your hourly rate today? I realized it's like... No, I, if somebody asked you to come on and do a project, for a consulting project, what is your hourly rate to do so? It'd probably be like... 40 bucks an hour really no oh, because naval that, always pitches to make it like way higher than you would have it's kind of like the well magic that's of thinking it, big. it depends what i'm doing like if i like it i'm kind of thinking like what todd would what a person would have to come to me and uh and say i don't think but so okay because mine's probably somewhere like 150 to 250 an hour easy cocky. and that's what that no, no no that like that's what i would charge for photo um or video work and so now you've got the both of us spending two hours this morning driving to best buy waiting in line for, for like 50 30 minutes. it doesn't add up it's so, a great morning i, I can't complain i know it doesn't add up now henry has some some content in the future so it, it all kind of works out in the end it's just like you get there and you're like 50 dollars. it's it's hard cash pretty much that yeah. you're getting back and when you're not making money on this podcast no, i hear you i still i mean like we lost a key in the machine at Menards. It was a two dollar key, and like I still, it I was still four dollars. Four dollars still hurts me. I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble giving up and practicing these opportunity cost calculations. But uh, it's a good example. This so moving on, moving back to the story of Nick. Basically, he has all these biases in his head. In his head, and he went. Uh, he took like his philosophy background. He was going to Penn because he, he graduated magna cum laude. Super smart dude going to Penn for a JD PhD program. And then like a year in, he drops out and he 
I don't know exactly why, but I think because he just saw options trader and he's like, I want to do that. Weren't we listening to something else? Maybe it's in How I Built This, which we'll talk about in a day or two. Someone who was JD, MD, MBA, literally had every single qualification. Was that not Nick? These things all just are the same in my head. I don't know. I know a couple of people like that. Uh, who's, I forget. I want to say Peter Thiel was something Maybe. like that. Okay. But whatever. So he's, uh, he basically drops out. I'm kind of curious like how he was able to do that. I know his dad was a business person. So I think he was okay to go into it. And he saw this dude making a lot of money in Chicago in this mercantile exchange, basically trading options. That's what he comes and does. And it's, it's cool because he has this sort of mentor again in his life of like, he just goes and he's like willing to literally pay to work just so he can learn from this mm-hmm. person. And that's how he becomes like a, just a, a known really good options trader makes a good amount of money. And then eventually stumbles upon his to be business partner. So yeah, it was like his dad passes away. He was burnt out from options trading. And then he started having these like after hour meetings with a uh, chef friend. Yeah. Uh, the chef is Grant Ackett's. I think that's how nice. you his I name didn't properly. catch his name. Yeah. So Grant, he just realizes like you, you recognize an options trading, you're trying to find mispriced items. So like something, say it's 50-50, but you're gonna, your gains are so large. It's like three to one what mm. you'll gain. So he's just looking for these price discrepancies and he kind of finds that gem in Grant. Before we leave options trading, I think a really cool thing well, pros and cons of doing it. Uh, did you catch kind of how they were drilling each other on math as mm-hmm. options traders to like, I, I thought it was interesting in the sense. So they were saying um, basically like they would just beat each other down with like these simple, like what's 20% of 670? Like, because that is what makes a difference when it comes to options trading. If you can do that stuff on your toes. Um, but then they said something that was really interesting. I forget the quote, but it was about peace and wartime. Uh Oh, something basically like you should be more stressed and working harder during peace. Right. It's like sweat and blood. Yeah. You sweat in peacetime so you don't bleed in wartime, something like that. Exactly. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they did. Another cool takeaway too was he'd see back in the day, I think it was in the 90s or something or before that, there were actual people in person trading and you could see when someone was taking a big loss or something, they would just likely get angry, blame other people or just turtle up. And so he saw that, this is in the second podcast you didn't listen to, but talks about COVID and how there are a lot of restaurants that just turtle up. Yep. They're like, you know what, we're fucked. We're the victim. Whereas he's like, hey, we got to change the business model. Let's sit down. This is our wartime group. He sets it up and they totally change how they do it. And they did. And it showed the whole city knows it. Um, In my town, for instance, kind of the the big restaurant in my town, it's it's run by the the mayor um, of the township. They just closed. They outright closed because they're the big guns. They had some money in the reserves and uh, six months went by. And I think they realized like, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't going anywhere. And then they opened back up. I think this was a major stepping stone for entrepreneurs when it comes to like what they did over the last eight months. True. True. It really major. shows you true think colors. Think about David Dobrik, you know, <laughs> like a lot of people got really creative with what they had to do and what they were able to do with their content. David Dobrik was like, I'm just going to wait till it's I, over. And it's been eight, nine months. Maybe it depends who you like. I feel like some people, especially older people are just like, they want to coast at this point. Uh, just like changes where all the fun happens. And now you didn't hear it. Sorry. 
two episodes I'm mixing, but he talked about how like in a year or so, there are going to be these restaurants that floundered, but they still have their kitchens open. And now a 25 year old, 23, 24, 25 can come in and have a restaurant at our age at a very cheap price and start with this new idea. So that's, that's what it sounded like. What was the chef's name? Uh, Grant. Wasn't he like, t- wasn't he like 22 or something? Or really young? He was 28, I believe. And he was like this, just... He was just this ex- uh, yeah, just extraordinary yeah. chef that no one really knew yeah. about. And he saw this passion and he kept coming back, even though the restaurant was super expensive. And they start this dialogue. And what's kind of funny is like, instead of gifting him like wine or food like other people, it's like, well, why would you do that? Like, he, he knows really good stuff. He's not going to take yours. It's kind of my gift-giving philosophy. Mm. I wouldn't give Ais soccer stuff because he knows a lot more. So he gives him these books with little highlighted excerpts like, hey, I think you'd like this. So super cool. They start this relationship and he just, he's like, this person cares. I want to start a business with you. Like, what are you doing here? Like, what is your plan? I'm on board with whatever you want to do. And he's like, I want to open up another restaurant. Um, Yeah, so uh, what was he saying? It, it was like the first time in his life when when he was having these discussions with the chef that he was like, this person is so artistic and creative and open-minded. Um, and he was just like dumbfounded by the way he thought. Mm. And I think that's super cool. I think there's a lot of parallels between chefs and entrepreneurs. I can't even remember if we talked about it on this podcast. Literally everything blurs in my mind. Um, weren't we talking about like trade secrets and chefs making their cookbooks public? Uh, I think that was on one yeah, of these. Yeah, it's not really related. Well, what's cool, this is Wait But Why which another thing, asking why. They have a, or Tim Urban, who writes it, has a piece on chefs versus cooks. Mm. And so you have the cooks and they're just Mm. following the recipe. And then you have the innovators like the Grant who is coming in and just creating something from new. And it's this this area of just exploration. And that's what they were doing. They were creating these totally new dishes, charging three, four hundred dollars for one person. Oh, the price discrimination. Let's talk about that in a second. So um, Nick's really excited that Grant is all in as a chef. And I think what's really important here is they started talking about the fact that the majority of people and a lot of the people that Nick work with, a lot of people we know, just the majority of people aren't all in on what they do. Mm. And that's that was Nick's big thing was like, if you're not all in, I'm not all in. And if you're not all in, get out of my way. And I think that kind of headhunting for for what? As the train goes by, I always picture in my head, it's like, I got my train and I'm going. Exactly. You can get on board. That's metaphoric. Or, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Symbolic. I meant to say symbolic. <laughs> it's, it's everything. So I, I think that's awesome. That's his hiring process too. He's very transparent. He's very like, this is the way the train runs. This is where we're going. Uh, uh, these are the downsides of coming on with us. Do you Come want to join or, or not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's very binary. And I mean, he's he's had thousands of employees. And so he was right in the, like, if anyone's going to flounder in this COVID environment, you'd think it would be him. But he has these crazy approaches where, um, well, one, very simple approaches, but it seems crazy. Like, for example, one I like is just he keeps his business model super simple. Mm. It's like money coming in, money going out, Money saved. He calls it the three shoe boxes. And so, so many people forget. Like to, ju- that's why so many companies companies aren't profitable from day one. They don't have their money coming in, and money going out, and, and money saved the, in check. 
that's what he does. He just has all of these back of the envelope calculations and he talks about it and he'll, he'll like see just a restaurant. He'll go in a restaurant and he's like running the numbers and just like very simple stuff. We did it in my entrepreneurship class that I loved. It's just like, does this make sense? How much does it cost to get a customer? How much do you make off of them over the lifetime? It's mathematics. Like keep it simple. Don't yeah. try and get crazy. And what's funny is he'll find these areas where there is some lack of transparency or it's very like vague. People won't let him in. So say the book market, for example, when he wanted to write his books, he couldn't get a price from people. Like how much does it cost to actually print a book? And no one would say it. So he's like, screw it. I'm going to self-publish. I'll just have someone come in and distribute. And they charge him much less. And now he makes an absurd amount of royalties off of these books. Beautiful book. You should have brought it in. Um, True. Because where you're staying has one. It's the aviary book. The aviary. $85 for that book. Oh, I thought it was like $250. Uh, Well, that's like special edition. Oh, okay. Yeah, because someone gifted it to my dad. It's beautiful. It's it's like the most stunning product photography you've ever seen in a book. Um, But that's all first principles. You know, it's like traditionally you go to a publisher, they control the profits, you get a royalty, whatever. And he was like, uh, no, like, let's figure out a way to do this myself. Yeah. I love that. It's just always like, and I want people even on our own team, like whenever we say something, just ask like, why, why, why are you saying we do this? <laughs> we, people love people that challenge the, the answer the, from us is more than likely. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And then you, f- you figure out something incredibly profound about the process or the system or the business. Um, they talk too about the power of saying, I don't know. That's actually how Alinea started. I think the chef was like, well, what do you want to do or, or something more complex? He was like, I don't know. And then they started Alinea together. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's cool because you take his his restaurants and you look at them and they are different from other restaurants. And you, you see why. Like, for example, I worked in restaurants. We always had tablecloths. You're like, why do you have tablecloths? Well, you look under, it's literally just plywood, shitty table underneath. And you're like, we're trying to be high class, right? And so he's like, screw the tablecloths. Let's just have a nice, like this counter right here. Let's just have a nice block of just black table. And everything's going to pop off similar to his book. It just looks super nice. And they're like, oh, well, you can't have silverware on the tables in Illinois or whatever. So yeah, I think this is a really important for two things. He's asking why. They're like, why do candles have restaurants? <laughs> why do restaurants have candles, right? What's Why do we have to eat on tablecloth? And then what transpires is this innovation stack, which is mm. like the book we just read. It's like, okay, well, we want to have clean black tables and that's it. We want to set the table. Well, okay, Chicago health codes don't allow that because you can't have the silverware touching the tables. Okay, now we have to... I don't know, maybe they put the silver in a fridge, but then it ended up being like they designed these beautiful um, holders to hold the silverware off the table. They had little pillows. Pillows. Yeah, and mean, then like the they were worried like, oh, well, you know, the tablecloth absorbs any water condensation from your glass. Like, well, we'll just keep the fridge that's what it was. Slight, like colder than normal and we don't have to use ice and that's where all the condensation will come from. So it, it's just you do something that's unconventional and then going through the innovation stack, it's so we have to. So we have to. The silverware can't go on the table. So we have to design something for it to go in. The glasses are condensating. So we have to chill the water. It seems so fun. It's just like it you is. find the problem and then just figure out how to solve it creatively. But you'll take it to the middle of the earth. <laughs> it never ends. So our friend Binky, I mean, could you imagine if he was an avid user of the innovation stack? I mean, he'd... he is already. 
and he's out of his mind because of it. Yeah, he's he is absolutely out of his mind. No one understands what we're talking about, but um, so it's cool. He just challenges everything. Uh, we could make a list. I think we wanted to talk about variable pricing too. There are a couple others, yeah. but you get in a restaurant, and I I read Freakonomics before, and like you'll go into a movie theater on a Tuesday, and it's empty. You go in on Friday or Saturday, and it's well, it used to be full at least. Restaurants the same way. Like we were slammed on the weekend, and then nothing during the week. Hmm. And so he's like, well, this shouldn't be the God, case. I like like people guy. are just burning out. I like him. We want like consistently 80% of what you can do. And it's just very, you know what's going on. And so he's just like, well, let's just charge less during the week. And more people will be attracted. And we'll charge more on the weekends. And it's funny because he talked about Uber and their surge pricing and why everyone hated it. It's like, fuck Uber. They're trying to take more money. Well, what if they did the opposite? They're like, well, it's going to be cheaper today because there's less demand. Hmm. And then people wouldn't argue because like, oh, you can get deals at certain That's times. That's what it is, right? So they, they were just one-sided. So I think it's brilliant in the way he approaches it. He uses his knowledge from finance and applies it. So basically, if I've got this right, he's banking on the fact that if prices are cheaper during the week, more people will come. If, if they were getting no people during the week now, they're hoping to get about 80%. And then when it's really expensive on a Saturday night, well... Just the people that can pay up for it will show up. What's interesting too is he got rid of tipping. Hmm. And it's very rare, but he, he, I don't know exactly how the model works, but basically he's hes someone that gives healthcare, gives 401k, just gives good unemployment benefits if he has to lay anyone off. Like it's very just a kind giving area. And it's like, you don't have to you know, be that person. Yeah, because most restaurants that aren't salaried don't have all those benefits yeah right like well you may, well, maybe he, we're too young do you know i mean we just get money yeah just w2 here <laughs> two dollars okay. an hour we get like free food occasionally <laughs> i have to steal calamari off people's plates you gotta read kitchen confidential it's crazy true it's crazy because they'd have these people unrelated but uh the the kitchen staff is serving these like michelin star meals but before their shift the restaurant's feeding them like a big pot of rice and i know like, we never really get Shitty to try chicken. food. Yeah. Like only the captain got to try it. Who's the captain? Captain's like the person at the, the helm of the ship. Yeah. Uh, whatever that I, I had this hand. idea of naming all the roles at Dunbar off kitchen. You copied that from Trader Joe's. They do oh, that? Oh, kitchen. I thought you meant a ship. Never mind. No, not a ship. Like expediter, metro D, head chef, sous chef. Those that could things. be kind of cool. Yeah. Attract people to this otherwise what terrible idea. What does Trader idea. Joe's do? <laughs> Trader Joe's has like, oh, you're the captain of the ship. Uh, you're the, I don't Skipper. know what. I don't like that. I don't well, like that. Well, you're doing the same thing. Uh, so it's just super cool. Like he's challenging all these norms. I, that's why I think philosophy, uh, they talked about uh, his favorite book. Oh, shoot. What is it called? I just it got it. It was by like Leticris? No. Uh, Leridicris? <laughs> I, I don't remember. I was listening at 3X speed. It was just like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Um, oh, who's the dude that wrote. Uh, anti-fragile oh nasim talib nasim talib uh yet another book god damn it we'll link it in the show notes to check those i didn't out. like anti-fragile i know well supposedly this is a better book okay but basically just like always looking where people just have these biases and it's just they're not uh, properly pricing things what's cool i just love everything he does take for example you should marry him i might <laughs> even though he's 30 years older than me and a dude but here's the thing He's fascinated with agency problems. And so take, for example, he gives real estate. Anytime he's selling real estate, 
you have a realtor and it's like they get, I, I don't know, whatever the commission is, say 3%, whatever it is. Well, if your house is about to sell for 400000 and they have the opportunity to sell it for 415000 well, they get 3% of that, which whatever the math is, it's not much. So he's like, there's no incentive for them to get that extra 15000 mm. They're just going to sell it because it's very binary. It's like, did the sale You're happen saying or not? saying because the 3% of that extra 15000 is... Is nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So do the math if you want. It's but, 300 bucks, I think. Sure. And, well, eh, I don't think that checks out. 15000 Okay. So basically it's like, all right, they have little incentive to get me marginal gains, but that, times that means a lot to me. God, I lost it's them. It's $450. Yeah. That was such easy math. I don't know why. Okay. So this gets back to the drilling point. We just lost the sale because I couldn't do that math. What were you saying? You fucking. Okay. I have ADD. Sorry I used math. Okay. I'll stay away from that. Here's what he's saying is like, all right, let's rethink this model. They have no incentive. I'm going to make 15,000 here, but they're going to make whatever, 350, 450, 450, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so little incentive to do it. He's like, you know what? I think this is like roughly bare minimum what I'd be willing to accept for my house. Anything above that, we'll split it 50-50. Oh, so they do have an incentive. So then you're... Yeah. So now mm-hmm. he's like, all right, well, we'll list it for 350 or something like that. Or like, my idea is 350. Anything above that, you'll make a killing. So now they're like, oh, I want to get the highest price possible. And that's just because like, he's like, why do we have this tradition where the real estate agent gets this commission of 3%? Why? Same thing. it doesn't work. With book deals too. I love it. I love this because it's so fucking counterintuitive. But take bidding like eBay, you bid up. He's like, let's let's try bidding down. Okay. So he'll start with a super high price, way above, and just work his way down, just dropping ten thousand dollars for the book deal each time. So say he starts at a million dollars and he's like, All right, well, anyone take it this time for say nine hundred thousand or whatever. And then he works his way down, eight hundred thousand, everyone in the room's like, Well, maybe he's gonna jump. So like you wanna be the first oh. to jump. So, and what I was happens, gonna say, so how does that like how is that a benefit? But then you get It's this. just everyone's nervous in the room. Like, are you yeah. gonna go? Are you gonna go? And you know the first person to go is gonna get it. So he's hoping someone will overpay by right. bidding backwards. Because no one ever knows what the rest of the market wants. You're just worried. You're so scared that you're gonna lose that's a cool. deal. And that's why he's getting great deals on everything. That's cool. Oh, he's just he's a fascinating man. You wouldn't think of it with some dude that's just running some cool restaurants. But it, it's just I think that's why having diverse backgrounds is just such an advantage today, being interesting. What else you got? I like I, the, I, I really like the part, because you just sent it to me, to me the other day. Um, they were talking about the fact that everyone was like, Nick, why would you want to go into this thing? It's, it's high risk, high failure rate. Um, and he gave the classic, like, so you're, Jim Carrey, so you're <laughs> saying there's a chance. <laughs> I sent you guys that, that yeah. video too. I love that. That's <laughs> like, enough. <laughs> also, the, interesting... It, probably in the same five minutes the uh the fact that like nine out of ten startups fail in their first year or something and tim ferris and nick kind of come to the conclusion they're like well it's probably a statistical error more than anything because nine out of ten of them just haven't done any due diligence <laughs> right right like that's why there is that overconfidence where more than half of people think they're better than average which yeah exactly is silly but like when you actually do your due diligence and it, it, actually it's funny okay going back to the nick's book deal He's like, he's talking to these salespeople and basically they have to do what venture capitalists do or anyone managing money. It's like they want to diversify to manage risk because, you know, not most of them are going to fail. He goes and they're like, oh, we can only give you this much because, you know, there are 
only one's going to make it and we don't know if it's you. He's like, well, I know it's me. So you're going to give me this price. I'm going to go. And they're like, fuck. <laughs> like this guy is all in. He knows he's the shit. He yeah. knows he's going to get the deal. And that's why he's just making an amazing book, selling it, doing all these things that they said he couldn't that's do. That's total um, the magic of thinking big, mm. that book. Just like to a ridiculous extent, believing in yourself and, it, and your abilities. I don't know why. That is one of my favorite books and I still haven't finished it. It's, it's the weirdest I, thing. I got to reread it, I told myself, because I was kind of down last week. I got to reread it. It's the most motivational. Yeah. It's like a Jocko Willing video. I love it. I, I think too, yeah, generally I wrote in the same notes, like 95% fail, but like, you, you know, you're doing your shit. As long as you know you're doing it right, you're probably smarter than the average person that's going to turtle when it gets tough. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, most of the stuff. It's cool because he, I guess we can mention this too on the last thing about entrepreneurship where he started his restaurants and he quickly noticed companies like Open Table. Actually, that was the only company for making reservations. He got fed up because you'd have people come in and like, oh, reservation for six at eight o'clock. And then they don't show up. Mm. It's like, what the, f now I just had food ready for six people. I had to, can't, I don't Brutal. have a table that's full. I had to send away I didn't hear people. This. Was it? Maybe other, it was the okay, other one. Yeah. Um, basically, he was fed up with just how the system worked with reservations. Open table was asked, just like they weren't giving him the data he wanted. So he's like, okay, there's something here. So he starts stiffing. <laughs> he's like, maybe there's a little business opportunity, like a little truffle dog. And he comes in. Truffle pig. Truffle, <laughs> truffle pig. Both, both. But So he actually wants to get into that too. That's why I said it. Uh, but he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I, I want the data. It's not there this company has a monopoly, I'm just going to do it. So he creates a software company. Now it has 100 people working. It's doing $2 million a day or it was before mm. COVID. I, they transitioned actually. Oh, was this Rackspace? <clears throat> it was in the podcast. I it's called Talk. Okay, never mind. I do well, know the aviary is on this platform. And it's like $25 right. deposit. But it it's, it's non-refundable, but it can be applied towards your meal. Mm. This is what was cool. So he gave stats. It's like, all right, if you prepay, then the people that don't show up, like the no-shows, goes to 0.3%. So if you're like, oh, say it's going to be $400, you have to put all the money up front, everyone's going to come, pretty much. Mm. And then if you just do like, say, $25, which is like a small percentage, it's still like 97% show up. The, the, what they talk was about it on open table, did he say? I don't remember. I think with, um, I don't know if Open Table had this model. He mentioned some other restaurant that had this model of like, oh, we're just going to hold your card. And then if you don't show up, we charge you. But then that gets people angry. And it's like 10% still don't show up. And then they start charging back because they're like, you know, screw you. That's a big problem too. Because these restaurants are, like you said, they're optimizing because. Oh, shit. Did your thing shut off? I hope not. We're, uh, it's 31 minutes. Well, you might just release audio. It's fine. Okay. If it did, it happened already. <laughs> um, they're optimized to only work on the weekends. And so, like we were saying earlier, so Friday and Saturday, they want to sit like three or four rounds of people. Mm. And if half their reservations don't show up, you're just, it's over. So he's just solving his own problems and basically. But you know what? So many restaurants just say that that is the way, the, way is. the world that's works. Just, I got into this business. The margins are crap. And that just is the way it is. And that's why. His margins are two and a half times anyone else. He's at like 20 to 25% and everyone else is like struggling to get 10. Yeah. 
it, it's phenomenal. So I think just for I opening will your say, eyes. So my parents like saved up the money, $400 person, $500 person, whatever it is, to eat at Alinea with a couple family friends. Maybe they've been twice. They said it's not that great. Maybe it's I, overrated. Boca. Y- you I, know. It's amazing. That's okay. It's just another Alinea group. That could be grass is always greener. Like it kind of reminds me of that YouTube video with uh, the Yelp in the fake, Great Britain. Yeah. The, the fake one. Fake it's just like all the hype, you know, because whatever you're spending, that's Wait, really quick. So he, this was a YouTube video about a yeah. guy who just made this fake restaurant by creating all these fake um, reviews on Travel Advisor. And it was microwave, it was like SpaghettiOs and like Frosted Flakes and like all this microwavable food. And he sold out. Well, he only did one night, but he was getting all these like crazy reviews. And sh- uh, it's fascinating. It kind of reminds me of the art world where it's like all the hype. It's basically, we're just herd mentality people. It's like, oh, this costs a lot of money. A lot of people are going. There's a lot of demand. He talks about how he'd open up slots and there were like 8,000 people waiting. So they'd, they'd reserve immediately. Like The second he opens it up, it's already taken. So it just creates this crazy demand. No matter how good the product actually is, I think it is still good, but there's a lot of hype uh it's just really cool i think it's a, a different perspective i never imagined liking and I, I didn't hear about nick until this podcast yeah same and uh big fan now we're not gonna be able to eat at alinea anytime soon unless we find him we're gonna track him <laughs> down he said he responds to emails if you can solve his little puzzles to get there true yeah let's get to the chef's table at alinea that's the mission. All right. Thanks, y'all. That was 57, I think. Who knows? Are you subscribing and, and writing reviews oh, and true. stuff? Oh, true. I like, should say it at the we beginning. Have any call to action? It's too easy to listen no to No one's this. listening to this it's by the end of it. It's way too, way too easy. You gotta... If you're listening to this, please review us. We have like five reviews right now, which people think we're a joke when we're not. I mean, look at this setup right now. This is the pinnacle. We're shooting in 4K. Can <laughs> you believe that? <laughs> so please review. If you uh, want to drop some other love, subscribe. Belky's got a YouTube channel, but you don't want to follow that. Mm, yeah. Uh, we'll leave any of the books we mentioned in the show notes, so check those out on the website. Links below. Mm-hmm.